Forlock Forbach Reads. Produced by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library. Welcome to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library podcast. Get ready for some blood-curdling and bedeviled blank verse. Last podcast delved into the obscure life of Robert Herrick. Witchcraft was the main theme of the poems we read. This time, we're going straight to hell with Paradise Lost by John Milton. John Milton was born on December 9th, 1608, son of a music composer. At age 10, he had a private tutor who introduced him into religious radicalism. Milton graduated from Christ's College, Cambridge, ranking fourth of 24 honored graduates. He was proficient in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French, Spanish, and Italian. At 34, he married 17-year-old Mary Powell, but the marriage was rocky from the start. His series of pamphlets arguing for the legality of divorce because of spousal incompatibility led him to a brush with the law. In return, he wrote Areopagotica, which some consider one of the greatest offenses for the freedom of speech ever written. His first published poem was titled On Shakespeare and was included in the second folio of Shakespeare plays in 1632. By 1652, Milton was totally blind and dictated his verse to various amanuenses, including Andrew Marvel, another metaphysical poet like John Donne. A few years later, Milton would begin composing Paradise Lost in 1658 and published the first version in 1664, although it would go through some more revisions and be published again in 1674. After Oliver Cromwell's death, Milton feared for his life because of his political views and went into hiding, although he was discovered, arrested, and had some of his writings burnt. He was freed and settled down with his third wife, Elizabeth, and died of consumption or gout on November 8, 1674. Before I read from two sections of Paradise Lost, let me highlight some important historical events that happened during the six years he initially composed the poem. Oliver Cromwell died. Dutch colonial officers banned tennis playing during religious services in New Netherlands. This would be the first mention of tennis in the United States. Peter Swink, the first known non-white settler to own land in Massachusetts, arrives in Springfield. He would hold a seat at town meetings. Philippine chief Andre Malong leads a revolt against Spain. 
the horrible Royal African Company is founded to trade slaves along the coast of West Africa. King Charles II is crowned and marks the beginning of the Restoration Era. Albeit short-lived, Parisians start using eight-person public buses. It is the last time anyone sees a dodo bird. Robert Hooke coins the term cells. I'll start my reading of Paradise Lost with Satan's famous speech from book one. And then I'll jump ahead to book two where Satan flies to the gate of hell to leave and confronts two strangers. So this is Paradise Lost by John Milton. From book one. Thus Satan talking to his nearest mate with head uplift above the wave, and eyes that sparkle and blazed, his other parts besides prone on the flood, extended long and large, lay floating many a rood, in bulk as huge as whom the fable's name of monstrous size, Titanian or earthborn, that warred on Jove, Briarius, or Typhon, whom the den by ancient Tarsus held, or that sea-beast Leviathan, which God of all his works created hugest that swim the ocean stream, him haply slumbering on the Norway foam, the pilot of some small night-foundered skiff, demon some island off as seamen tell, with fixed anchor in his scaly rind, moors by his side under the lee, while night invests the sea, and wished morn delays. So stretched out huge in length, the arch-fiend lay chained on the burning lake. Nor ever thence had risen or heaved his head, but that the will and high permission of all ruling heaven left him at large to his own dark designs, that with reinterrated crimes he might heap on himself damnation, while he sought evil to others, and enraged might see how all his malice served but to bring forth infinite goodness grace and mercy shown on man by him seduced, but on himself, treble confusion, wrath, and vengeance poured. Forthwith, upright he rears from off the pool his mighty stature. On each hand, the flames driven backward slope their pointing spires, and rode in billows, leave in the mist, a horrid veil. Then, with expanded wings, he steers his flight aloft, incumbent on the dusky air that felt unusual weight, till on dry land he lights, if it were land that ever burned with solid as the lake with liquid fire. And such appeared in hue, 
as when the force of subterranean wind transports a hill torn from Polaris, or the shattered side of thundering Etna, whose combustible and fueled entrails thence conceive in fire, sublimed with mineral fury, aid the winds and leave a singed bottom all involved with stench and smoke. Such restin found the soul of unblessed feet. Him followed his next mate, both glorying to have scaped the Stygian flood as gods, and by their own recovered strength, not by the sufferance of supernal power. Is this the region, this the soil, the clime, said then the lost archangel. This the seat that we must change for heaven, this mournful gloom for that celestial light. Be it so, since he who now is sovereign can dispose and bid what shall be right. Farthest from him is best, whom reason hath equaled, force hath made supreme above his equals. Farewell, happy fields where joy forever dwells. Hail, horrors! Hail, infernal world! And thou profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor! One who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I be still the same, and what I should be, all but less than he whom thunder hath made greater? Here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here for his envy, will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. But wherefore let we then, our faithful friends, the associates and co-partners of our loss, lie thus astonished on the oblivious pool, and call them not to share with us their part in this unhappy mansion. Or once more, with the rallied arms, to try what may be yet regained in heaven, or what more, lost in hell. And now from book two. Meanwhile, the adversary of God and man, Satan, with thoughts inflamed of highest design, puts on swift wings and towards the gates of hell explores his solitary flight. Sometimes he scouts the right-hand coast, sometimes the left. Now shaves with level wing the deep, then soars up to the fiery concave towering high. As when, 
Far off at sea, a fleet descried hangs in the clouds by equinoctial winds, close sailing from Bengala or the isles of Ternate and Tador, whence merchants bring their spicy drugs. They, on the trading flood, through the wide Ethiopian to the Cape, ply, stemming nightly toward the pole. So seemed far off the flying fiend. At last appear hell bounds high, reaching to the horrid roof, and thrice threefold the gates. Three folds were brass, three iron, three of adamantine rock, impenetrable, impaled with circling fire, yet unconsumed. Before the gates there sat on either side a formidable shape. The one seemed woman to the waist and fair, but ended foul in many a scaly fold, voluminous and vast, a serpent armed with mortal sting. About her middle round a cry of hellhounds, never ceasing barked with wide Siberian mouths full loud, and rung a hideous peal. Yet, while they list, would creep, if aught disturbed their noise, into her womb and kennel there. Yet there still barked and howled within unseen. Far less abhorred than these vexed Skyla, bathing in the sea that parts Calabria from the hoarse Trinacrian shore. Nor uglier follow the night hag, when called in secret, riding through the air she comes, lord with the smell of infant blood, to dance with Lapland witches while the laboring moon eclipses at their charms. The other shape, if shape it might be called, that shape had none distinguishable in member, joint, or limb. Or substance might be called that shadow seemed, for each seemed either. Black it stood as night, fierce as ten furies, terrible as hell and shook a dreadful dart. What seemed his head the likeness of a kingly crown had on. Satan was now at hand, and from his seat the monster moving onward came as fast with horrid strides. Hell trembled as he strode. The undaunted fiend, what this might be admired, admired, not feared, God and his son except, created thing not valued he nor shunned. And with disdainful look thus first begin. Whence and what art thou, execrable shape, that darest, though grim and terrible, advance thy miscreated front athwart my way to yonder gates? Through them I mean to pass, that be assured, without leave asked of thee. Retire, or taste thy folly, and learn by proof 
Hellborn, not to contend with spirits of heaven. To whom the goblin, full of wrath, replied, Art thou that traitor angel? Art thou he, who first broke peace in heaven and faith, till then unbroken? and in proud, rebellious arms drew after him the third part of heaven's sons conjured against the highest, for which both thou and they, outcast from God, are here condemned to waste eternal days in woe and pain. And wreckest thou thyself with spirits of heaven, Hell doomed, and breathless defiance here and scorn, where I reign king, and to enrage thee more, thy king and lord. Back to thy punishment, false fugitive, and to thy speed add wings, lest with a whip of scorpions I pursue thy lingering. Or with one stroke of this dart, strange horror seized thee, and pangs unfelt before. So spake the grisly terror, and in shape, so speaking and so threatening, grew tenfold more dreadful and deform. On the other side, incensed with indignation, Satan stood unterrified and like a comet burned, that fires the length of Ophiuchus, huge in the arctic sky, and from his horrid hair shakes pestilence and war. Each at the head leveled his deadly aim, their fatal hands no second stroke intend, and such a frown each cast at the other, as when two black clouds with heaven's artillery fraught come rattling on over the Caspian, then stand front to front, hovering a space, till winds the signal blow to join their dark encounter in mid-air. So frowned the mighty combatants that hell grew darker at their frown. So matched they stood, for never but once more was either like to meet so great a foe. And now great deeds had been achieved, whereof all hell had rung, had not the snaky sorceress that sat fast by hell gate and kept the fatal key, risen and with a hideous outcry rushed between. O oh, father, what intends thy hand, she cried, against thy only son? What fury, O oh son, possesses thee to bend that mortal dart against thy father's head? And knowest for whom, for him who sits above and laughs the while at thee, ordained his drudge to execute whatever his wrath which he calls justice, bids his wrath, which one day will destroy ye both. 
Thank you very much for listening to Warlock Vorabach Reads, a Cincinnati and Hamilton County public library podcast specializing in the supernatural. I hope you enjoyed those three-headed dogs, the night hag, Satan, lakes of fire, and all of that. And next time, we will be ready for the drug-riddled dreams of our next poet. Till next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Vorbach Vorbach Reads. Subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss future episodes. And discover more of our podcasts at cincinnatilibrary.org slash podcasts.